Let's look at Matthew 15. I wanted just to talk a little bit about uh, prayer again. Uh, this year, I, I just can't seem to get away from that. I do think that not just personal prayer, but the large-scale corporate prayer that we've begun our journey with, the Enough um, initiative, uh, I, I think there's some things that the Lord really, really wants us not just to see as a, like an add-on to what we're doing. Oh, yeah, we do some praying as well. But uh, I'm just more and more convinced, you know, even just being out in Sweden, which is probably one of, if not the most, one of the most secular nations on earth. It's got everything. Everyone's wealthy. The scenery's beautiful. No one lacks for anything. But you live, you have this amazing life, all that you ever need, and then you die without Christ. And you think, only a move of God, only a move of God can do something about that. You know, you, you can't offer Jesus to someone who's got everything. Or who they think, they've, what they think, you know, they think they've got everything. You just can't. Some, God has to do something. And all across Western Europe, where we are primarily involved, this, this same thing we're finding. We just, God's opening up doors, little, little doors of opportunity. But we need God to move in this nation. This nation is full of individualism. It's, it, it's, it's full of consumerism. It's full of all kinds of things where what's taken root is a belief that we are God. Uh, and we're not. Our very next breath is, is given as a gracious provision. Job tells us that. If it were his intention and he withdrew his spirit, all mankind would perish in an instant. You know, your next breath is not your right. It's not a natural process. It's a gracious provision of a loving Heavenly Father who reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous, who shines the sun on the righteous and the unrighteous. He's gracious and kind to everyone, even those who reject him and hate him. He's kind. And we need him to open eyes that are blind. And the only way that I see in Scripture where that really is birthed is in fervent believing prayer which then propels us into then the, ac- the action that's spirit-fueled that makes it valuable. I've been so encouraged this year. We've had, those of you who don't know, we've been doing these enough half-nights of prayer. Uh, we did one in um, March, one in June, and then we've got the last one this year in November. Uh, so when the dates come out, please can I encourage you, come along here uh, with, with those of us gathering here. We've got 10 or 11 hubs in different parts of the country and other nations uh, and I didn't quite know how it would go, to be honest. I mean, to say to people to come out on a Friday night to pray from like 6 or 7 o'clock through till midnight when you've worked all week, and you're asking people to pray, and the moment you say prayer, that immediately turns most people off because they think, oh, I'm not be good at prayer. I'll leave that to the specialists. So I kind of thought, well, how's this going to go? You know, we've had 2,000 people turn out at both of those. I mean, that's extraordinary. Just grasp that. 2,000 people, not just for the first one, but then for the second one, and maybe it was even slightly higher the second one. I've not really got the figures. So I'm, I'm praying that God will keep growing this thing. And we've got other spheres now beginning to chat to us and say, maybe we would join in, or other nations beginning to look at joining in. So I'm praying. I, I'm praying for an outlandish thing. So you might want to join. I'm praying for 10,000 people so that we could have 10,000 people, half nights of prayer, three times a year, um, whether that's all from our... Well, it can't be all from us, because there's only 5,000 people in relational mission, but um, unless God does something amazing...
quickly before November. But I'm, I'm praying that we get to 10,000 people and, and that it goes from, from there to... Who knows where it would go? It's not... It's something... You know, prayer is a bit like um, if you were doing the stock market and you found a company whose shares, whatever amount of money you put in, they just kept doubling... If you, if you played the stock market and you found a company like that, it's never going to crash. It's always going to yield more than you've put in. You'd put all your money into it, wouldn't you? And you wouldn't tell anybody, would you? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. <laughs> but the thing is, prayer is like that. But we must tell everybody because there's, there's no limit to the shareholders. You just put all your money in prayer and it just keeps multiplying. Just, you can't lose. So I wanted just to look at a, a bit of an encouragement to prayer this, this morning from the life of an individual who who shows us a little bit about what prayer is. I like looking at people who Jesus meets, who get things from him that they shouldn't get. Um, Because actually, none of us should get anything from God at all. We don't deserve anything. But somehow he's made provision for us to get things from him. So this this story is... um, uh, such uh, one such situation about the, the Canaanite woman. So Matthew 15, verse 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he didn't answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, is it not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? And she said, yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Father, I just pray you'd help us this morning to learn from this, to learn from this amazing woman who refused to take no for an answer. Help us to learn all that we can so that we can be the kind of prayers that you want us to be. We just pray, I just pray you'd help me, Lord, to um, pick out what's really helpful for us this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, first thing just to notice uh, in verse 21, just which is a context for everything that follows, is, um, sorry, in, in verse 22, is just this simple phrase. It says, and behold, a Canaanite woman. Not like sort of boom, as in magic, and suddenly she appeared, but rather, behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Lord, have mercy on me. And behold, it sounds when you first read it, as if it's just an accident. Like Jesus went somewhere, left somewhere, went somewhere else. Oh, and behold, a Canaanite woman. I want to tell you this. There are no accidents in the kingdom of God. Whilst Matthew, as he's writing it, is reflecting on what he observes, and to human observation, this is a chance encounter. This is a, not pre-planned. It wasn't in Jesus' diary. Firstly, because he didn't have one. But secondly, because even if he did have one, it wouldn't have been in there. He didn't, he didn't know, they didn't know that this encounter was going to take place. But in the sovereign purposes of God, everything that God intends is forethought, foreknown, 
preordained and predestined. He works out his purposes from beginning to end. He's alpha and omega, first and last, beginning and end. Jesus is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. You know, there's, there's, it wasn't just an accident Jesus died on the cross. Oh, it had a bad day and uh, so the crowd got unruly. No, Je- Jesus knew all the way through his life. He, he knew the purposes of God. They gradually became more and more clear as he knew gradually more of the Father's will. He became aware there's a destiny, there's a purpose, there's a providence, there's something going on. And behold, a Canaanite woman. I just want to say to you, your life, if you know Jesus this morning, your life is under the tenderest, most providential care of God. Providence means, simply means, God's particular special care for your life as an individual. His forethought, known care for you. He, he thinks about your life. He knows your life. He has a plan for your life. He has a destiny for your life. He, he's intricately involved in every situation, circumstance, choice, emotion, feeling, Anything that happens in your life, that the the providence of God is overshadowing it. You are here this morning not because you happen to be born in Lowestoft or happen to move to Lowestoft or because you woke up this morning and thought, should I go or shouldn't I? You are here by the amazing, particular, careful providence of God. Now, the reason why we struggle with that is because we have the why questions. Well, yes, but what about free will? No, never mind about that. You have to just... Let the truth of things um, wash over your being and leave sometimes the questions that we don't know the answers to because the Bible leaves them. All we're told here is, behold, a Canaanite woman. We can see that when we, when we go on through the story, there was, there was a purpose to this. Jesus himself, I don't know where his humanity and his deity, what he knew, what he didn't know. I don't know how all that worked. That's another great mystery. But suddenly he became aware this was a divine encounter. This was an encounter that the Father had brought him to. Jesus lived his whole life saying, I've come to do your will, O God. And suddenly he becomes aware of this woman. And he sees, now this is an encounter. This is, God has done, this, this is an encounter. My Father has led me to this woman, as we'll see as the story goes through. The main point I just want to get over is this. Your life and my life are not random chance. It's not a set of random chance choices or circumstances where we're like a boat or a leaf tossed about on a sea of endless forces that we are not able to control or, or um, have any influence over. You and I are here this morning under the providence of God. And if you don't know Jesus this morning... He has his hand on you, even though you don't know him. You're here, not just because someone either badgered you to come or invited you to come, or because you didn't have anything else to do this morning, or because someone you know is a Christian. All of those things might be true, but that's not ultimately why you're here. You're here because the hand of God is upon your life. I can say to you, on the authority of Scripture, Jesus wants you to come to know God through him. There's a providential care upon your life that goes way beyond your choices. None of us are able to, anyone here feels able to navigate your life successfully without God? Of course not. Some people think, well, some people think they can, but anyone who's become a Christian thinks, no, all, as we, as we were singing earlier, you know, um, when Satan tempts me to despair, tells me of the, 
the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sins. Jesus, when you become aware of, really becoming a Christian is just becoming aware that without Jesus, not only would I not be alive physically, but I would not be alive spiritually. I would not be able to do anything. I would not be able to be fruitful. I wouldn't be delivered from evil. I wouldn't be kept safe. His ongoing care for me every day, every moment of the day, is the only thing that keeps you and I in him. We don't keep ourselves in Christ. He keeps us. And that's providence. The fact we still keep breathing, the fact we've got health and life, the fact that when you're tempted, you don't sin, that you're not going to lose your salvation. Even if it were up to you, you probably would. But you're not going to. Why? Because he has saved you and kept you. And he, he providentially looks after you every step of the day, way, every day. His providence and care is over your life. And all the mysteries we don't understand, we say, Lord, I don't understand this, but I know that you care, I know that you love me, I know your hand is on my life, and I can trust my life to you, even though I don't understand these things. And this woman was soon going to find the providence of God tumbling into her life. But to her, at this time, it was just, behold, a Canaanite woman. Now, the reason that's important, and I've labored the point, is that when we get on to prayer... Prayer, without an awareness of providence, becomes crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. When you're aware of providence, you're praying because of things God has promised and because of things you know that are true of God himself. So you're praying in the context of being cared for. Just get that for a minute, right? Whenever we ask Jesus for things... Whenever we make our requests known, it's in the context of being loved and cared for by a heavenly father who does abundantly more than all we ask or think. He's already ahead of the game. When we're praying for things, he already knows we need them. And he's already made provision to supply them. He just wants us to agree with him about them. Are you with that? Right? Because providence is, is, is like the... If you were a... Um, a watercolour painter, right? Providence is the wash that goes on the back before you then put the detail on. But you've, got to, you've got to have the backdrop of God's tender care when we come into thinking about prayer. Now, let's move on. What does, what, now she begins to kind of engage. Behold, this Canaanite woman. Now, it says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. That's a simple prayer. Right? Prayer doesn't have to be complicated. She's just telling him the problem and asking for mercy. Telling him the problem, asking him for mercy, appealing to who he is. But I want you to notice in verse 23, but he did not answer her a word. Now, if the story had stopped there, or no, let's put it this way. If she had let his silence get into her spirit, she would have turned around and gone home. Yeah? She would have done what most of us do when we pray about something and nothing happens. We go to a prayer meeting or we put a prayer list together and we pray for something that's really important to us, perhaps for, I don't know, a couple of months, maybe even a year. And do you know what happens at the end of that year? Absolutely nothing. Zero. Zilch. It might even have got worse. So what do we do? 
we say, that didn't work. And then we consign prayer to one of those subjects that only the really special people are able to engage in. That is the devil's greatest strategy to rob the church of its muscle and its power in the age we live in. When Jesus does not answer us a word, I mean, it's in the Bible. Sometimes that's what happens. You think, well, hang on a minute. I thought you said God answers prayer. Yeah, well, we know what happens next because we've got the, got the text. She didn't know. At that time, she didn't know. All she had was, she'd poured out her heart. Lord, have mercy on me. My daughter really needs you. No response. Have you done that? Have you done that? Ever? Been so desperate about, I mean, you can't get much more, much more deep in terms of your own personal concern and your own family, your daughter desperate, you your own children, just desperate. And there's Jesus, there's the, the one who can fix it, is right in, right in front of you. And you, you go up to him and say, Lord, have mercy. He just keeps walking. I mean, man alive. D.A. Carson says that most of us, when it comes to prayer, I'm sure none of you used to do this, but when I was a little boy in the gang I was in, we used to play knock down ginger. Right, where you'd run up to people's doorbells, ring them, and then run off. I'm sure none of you have ever done that, but you've heard of people who have. Yeah, well, I was one of them. Right? Um, that's what most of us treat prayer like. We run up to the doorbell of God, ring the bell of prayer, and then we run away again. Just don't, we just, it's just so quick. We just, oh, didn't work. Run out of things to say. Someone was going to pray that. I was going to pray that prayer. Now they've prayed it. I can't pray that now. It took me ages to figure out what I was going to say. Now they've just gone and done it. So we think, yeah. Or when we, 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 can't, we, we get on our own at home, we say, God, I, just, I want to pray about my family. I want to pray about this situation. And then we start rehearsing the situation and we think, well, I've done this for years. I've prayed about this for years. So we sort of wrestle in our minds and then we kind of sort of think, well, perhaps he'll do something, but we don't really expect him to. I, I want to say this. The, the, the reason this woman... No, I won't tell you the reason she persisted. I'll come back to that. Let me just say this. There may be some of you here, in fact, I'm pretty sure there will be, who've been praying for things that, just like this thing you would expect Jesus to answer because you'd know he'd want to. I don't know, maybe it's a family member situation or your own person, something you're struggling with or an illness or, some, or some, something that is not of the kingdom of God. And you're saying, well, I'm sure Jesus would want to, to, to help me with that. Some of you might have been praying, listen, for years. 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 And your, your Bible, as it were, your, te- your story finishes at verse 23. But he didn't answer her a word. That's where you're at. Didn't answer her a word. And what's more, says the disciples came and begged him saying, send her away. She's crying out after us. Not only is she not getting an answer from Jesus, she's actually irritating those around who also are pursuing Jesus for things. 
She's nothing but an irritation. She's not getting any encouragement from the disciples. They didn't say to her, go again, go again. He's very busy, but go, go again. Go, go on, go on. I've seen him do it before. Go, go, go again. They said, oh, send her away. It's a nuisance, an irrelevance. Your need is an irrelevance. That's what they're saying. He's not interested. He's not answering. Go away. I tell you, that's quite hard to come back from that, isn't it? And some of you, that's how you feel. Some of, some of, some of you, that's how you feel. What's worse is he seems to join in and agree with them. In verse 24, this is where it gets slightly shocking. When he does actually say something, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So she's had no answer the disciples are saying, go away, you're an irrelevance. And now Jesus is saying, whatever you're asking me for, I'm actually not that interested because I've only come to answer the prayers of these people. I mean, is that what it says or isn't it? That is what it says. Now, I defy anybody to have a great prayer time after that. I, I mean, if that were me, I'd be thinking, I mean, I'm not a very confident person, but yeah, you're before the, the creator of the world, He's not answered you. His disciples are saying, go away, he's not interested. And then he tells you himself he's not interested. That takes quite a, long, a lot of courage to come back. And that, I think, is what many of us do. Now, why did he do that? Why did he do that? Was it because he didn't care? Well, I think it's this, that very often God's wanting more from us. He wants more from us. Sometimes providence can appear to be a bit severe because there's something God's trying to get out of us that's bigger than we thought we even had. So he's, he's putting her through the discipline of heaven just because he can, he can see by this time, by this time Jesus can see there's something going on here that's quite precious. So he thinks to himself, I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to just let her stay at the level she's at. I want to get something more out of her. Listen, if God is not answering our prayers for this nation, for this church, for your circumstances, to the degree we want him to, it's not because he doesn't care. It's not because he's not interested. It's because of this one thing. He's after something more from us that he knows is in there. He wants us to have spiritual muscle that we didn't realize we could have. He wants us to arise in such stature that we never thought was possible. When Jesus is quiet or says no or in any way pushes back at us, it's for this one reason. He wants us to push back at him. If you go to the gymnasium and work out, the only way you're going to put on more muscle, as you can see, is purely by the fact that you tear your present muscles to some degree so that new muscle will build. Jesus is basically doing that to this woman. He's wanting to push back at her to see what's really there and to get some strength, to get some, some faith. Some, he wants to draw out of her what he can see is, is actually there. See, God does long to answer our prayers, but sometimes he withholds answers to draw us out more and, develop, and to develop our muscle because prayer is where the heavy lifting is done. If you want to compare church life or the Christian life, to a gymnasium, prayer is where the heavy lifting is done. And God wants all of us to be people who are confident in prayer. 
knowing that it works. Knowing that it works. So he tells her to go away. And then I want you to notice this, verse 25. It says, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. Now, the simple thing I want to just bring out from this is, is simply this. Uh, we disqualify ourselves from effective prayer very often, I believe, myself and Claire, I think we all do this, because we try to overcomplicate it. All she said was three words. Lord, help me. Just a gut-wrenching groan of a plea. Something within her had gone beyond the words now and her heart's engaged. See, he's already done what he was trying to do. He's got her so that she's, her heart is now praying, not just her voice. She's gone past the, Lord have mercy on me, son of David, help my daughter. A very nicely framed prayer. She's now, God help me, God help me, God help me. Have you ever got to that point in prayer? Have you ever got there where you say, God help me? God, help me. I tell you, that's, that's the time when prayer actually starts to do something. Because God isn't interested in your words or my words. He's interested in your heart. He's interested in your, your connection with him. Your, your engaging with him and wrestling with him about things that he cares about and you care about. That's something that only comes by Jesus birthing something in us in prayer. So that something within us groans rather than just verbalizes see prayer prayer comes from here not from here what comes out of here is a manifestation of what's going on here you, you get that prayer is, is not about nicely framed words although they might come out like that when the spirit of God comes on you and whatever prayer is prayer is a gut thing it's a gut thing where something so gets into your heart, you say, I will not let you go. Lord, help me. That's what she's saying. Lord, help me. She doesn't care the disciples have said, go away. She doesn't, say that, she doesn't care that Jesus has said, go away. She said, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. She's coming back at him. As William Gurnall says, commenting on this, he said, she caught the bullets that Christ shot at her and with humble boldness, Shot them back at him. I love that. Christ sort of shot these bullets. Go away. She gets the bullets. Say, no. I tell you, that's prayer. That's prayer. And Christ shoots at you and you, you, oh, you say, no, I'm not having that. Come back at you. Prayer is a wrestling of the wills. That's, God wants us to engage with him about things we know he wants to do. Now, why did she come back at him? Why did she come back at him? It's simply this. Because he, he then gives her a reason why he's not interested. He says, is it not right for, to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? Now, one thing we must just say about that verse there is, we don't know how he said it, because we weren't there. But we do know what he said. Now, what I mean by that is that he could have said, is it not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs? Quite aggressive. Or he could have said, is it not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs? A little bit kind of playfully. We don't know how he said it. We do know that what, however he said it, he did say it. And it didn't put her off. She argued back at him. She said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. 
Yes, Lord, good point. Fair point. But even dogs eat crumbs that fall on the floor from the master's table. I mean, that's brilliant. How to silence God. Argue back at him with something he has no answer for. You see, that's actually what prayer is. Prayer is getting hold of a promise in Scripture. And when we look at our circumstances, perhaps there's a a healing we're longing for or a breakthrough of some circumstance, some provision, something that when we read the Bible, we think God's made promises about lives that he will, you know, do these things or about our nation or about the, the, bless, the, the increase of the church. We look at these things and we, we say, this should be happening because there's promises. There's promises. And you go to Psalms and you go to Isaiah and you look at promises and the, the epistles, you find promises where it says, you know, ask and you will receive. And all sorts of promises we can find. And prayer is about getting those promises and about when we look at our circumstances and the, pro- and the circumstances are not lining up with the promises, we go back to God with the promises. And we say, Lord, I'm sorry, but if you don't mean it, don't say it. I think God loves that. Because he, would, he will take a little bit of cheeky boldness from us if it's coming from a place that is so certain about who he is that we won't let him go until we see what he's promised come about. Now, we have to deal with all the issues then of delay and all the things that we don't understand. But that, that, we, that, just put all that to Put your intellectual Western mind in a bin just for the moment. Most of the time, it doesn't help us. Most of the time. Look at biblical framework of thinking. Is God makes promises. He, he puts things before us so that we get hold of them and we say, Lord, I believe you. The reason she came back at him was this. I don't know how she came to this knowledge about Jesus because she's a Canaanite you know you might be here this morning you're not a Christian you might have come from a totally pagan background you might be the world's most unreligious person just like her she wasn't she hadn't done an alpha course she she didn't know anything Uh, she was no reason why she should even be interested in Jesus she's a Canaanite the Israelites used to kill the Canaanites in the Old Testament they were scum and here she is you know she's not got no right to be there But somehow she knew enough about Jesus that when she met him, she never probably met him before, but she knew enough about him. So that when she met him, she thought, I know who you are and I know your nature, your character. I know that you not only have the power to heal my daughter, I know that you want to. There's something within her that thought, I know you well enough not to let you go on this. So she pushed in based not on Her experience so far, she pushed in based on the fact that she knew who Jesus was. When you and I pray, and some of you might have been praying for years for things. I've been praying for years for things. And I still pray about them with a gut-wrenching cry to God. And he has not answered a word. But I will not let him go. Why? Because I know him. I know him well enough to know he has the power to and he wants to. And I'm prepared to leave the mystery of why he hasn't with him. What I'm not prepared to do is compromise who I know him to be. So prayer is not just, oh yeah, we're having a prayer meeting tonight, that'll be nice. Oh no, 
No, no, no, no. Prayer is gut-wrenching business that we do with God. So what I want to just, as we close, I want to just encourage you to be like she was, to be winsome with your prayers, to be appealing with your prayers, to be engaging with your prayers. Don't, to be simple with your prayers. Don't let him go if you know that he has made promises. Don't let him go. I felt this morning, that some, as I was just thinking about it, that some, some of you literally have let him go on some things. You think, well, I, there's no point praying about that anymore. There's no, there's no point praying about that. Well, on what basis do you say that? Basis of probability and likelihood that God by this time might still do something? Or are you going to be like her? Who said, well, I know you well enough. Don't know all the reasons. Don't know all this stuff. Don't know anything. But I do know this. I know who you are. I know who you are. I know you're good. I know you're kind. I know you're powerful. I know you're a healer. Your name is the Lord who heals. You are a deliverer. My daughter is severely oppressed. I know you are the deliverer. You are the one who brings freedom to people. I know who you are, so I will not let you go. And even if I have to get crumbs from the table, that will do. That will do. Even if I'm not your favorite, I'll still have the crumbs. She's arguing because of who she knows him to be. Would you like to just stand with me? I'd just like to... I just feel that God just wants to breathe some fresh life and, and I don't know, guts. That's the word. Some guts. I know it's August and it's holiday season. But you can still, we can still have guts as we go on holiday and think, ah, just God, would you do something in me that just makes me like this woman? Just doesn't let you go.